Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by Ozontel. We share the latest insights and customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Garima. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matt. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you here with me on the Humans of CX podcast. It's an honor to be here. I'm a human. I'm in CX, so I'm glad to be uh, joining you and, and our audience today. Lovely, lovely, Matt. Matt, let's understand your story because we know that everyone has this unique inspiration behind joining the space of CX. It is exciting, but what really got you here and what are some of the challenges you experienced and how difficult it was for you to navigate through this world and how do you feel about being where you are today? I know that's a lot in there, but let's start like one by one. Sounds good. Let's go through those. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I've been in CX basically my entire career. Before it was called CX, before anyone had any idea of, hey, let's make this a formal discipline. I've always been helping people. So when I was young, my mom was a graphic designer. And so as a graphic designer, kind of that transition from the old days of getting a linotype and then pasting things up and then moving digital, she and my dad made the decision to buy a, a Mac computer in 1986 when I was three. And basically, I was around technology from a young age. As I got older, she got rid of one of her old computers and said, hey, you can have this. And I promptly broke it and needed to fix it. And that was before really, I mean, the internet was just kind of starting out. AOL, I think we had an AOL account on dial-up and it was you know, very basic. So I had to kind of figure out, hey, how do I troubleshoot this problem? How do I fix this thing? And because I was a kid and trying the newest games and trying to play this and trying to do that, it kind of developed accidentally into this, I know how to fix computers. And that turned into helping my mom with her friends who were graphic designers needing to help set up their things properly. And so I was able to work with them and it turned into I could actually make money doing this. So I didn't have a typical uh, job where I was working in retail or working in some environment where I was doing restaurant work or something like that. And so again, my experience as a support person and helping people with their customer experience kind of started at a young age there. I fast forward to just after college, my wife and I got married. I needed a job. And I got a job at a, an Apple authorized repair center. So we were there helping people fix their computers, taking them apart, working with individuals and businesses to figure out how they wanted to spend their technology budgets. Where I lived in Southern California, it was an area that had a lot of people in the movie industry and in the music industry. It was their weekend home. And so they would come up and they'd have this huge budget to set up editing rigs in their house or their guest house. And so we'd go and, and we'd work on, on different things like that. And, and that was really where I kind of cut my teeth on how do you deliver an experience for these people that are very busy professionals with high net worth? How do you help them have a positive experience while you're solving a problem for them? I went and worked and got my master's in business administration. And, and during that time, I made a move out of that small town into a larger town in Southern California. And I got connected with a software as a service company, Illuminate Education. They were just starting off. And as anyone out there who's in startup land knows, as an, an early member of the team, I think I was employee number 20 or 21 you get to wear a lot of hats. And so I was not only doing customer support, but I was working with some of our vendors with integrating some of their products into our system, doing QA testing on one of those products that was really buggy uh, at the time. I kept a... We marketed to schools and school districts in the US. And I had to keep a nice jacket and a tie. And it was startup, so it was t-shirt and jeans. But I'd have to sometimes go on site to schools all over Southern California 
and figure out why the technology wasn't working in their particular case. So be a, Matt, we need you to get in the car and go over here and, and take care of this issue for this school district. And so I put my nice clothes on, drive out and take care of the issue and then come home. As we grew, and at any company, your job gets kind of focused down. And so instead of being in charge of our IT department, and instead of planning out the new office build-outs and things like that, it was more focused on, let's here's the support team. We need to be as good as we can be for our customers. Uh, we need to make sure they have a great customer experience as they interact with our company and our brand. So build a team that's going to work for us as we're getting bigger, as we're scaling. We got bought by private equity. Our founder sold uh, his shares. And their strategy was say, hey, let's bring in a bunch of companies. So we acquired eight, nine companies over the course of about three years and trying to bring those different teams, those products, and those different tool sets together and provide that cohesive customer experience for our new customers was a big challenge. It was something that, you know, that was probably the last three years at Illuminate where I was really working on that. We ended up getting acquired uh, last year. I kind of said, hey, this is, I enjoy working in the smaller space. So, you know, the 20 person was awesome. As we got to, you know, six or 700 people uh, through the scaling, that was interesting. When we went to a 2,500 person company, I said, okay, like, I think I've had some fun here. It's been a great 11 years. I want to try something else and worked with my boss, the new CEO or the CEO of the acquiring company, uh, CEO, sorry, said, hey, I'd like to make a transition out. What can we do to make sure that our my team is successfully integrated into the existing team? And so there's as few hiccups and bumps as possible. And so we worked out a plan. They wanted me to stay through a back to school cycle. So I stayed through November. And then this year, took a little bit of a sabbatical, some time off with my family over the holidays. And then this year started uh, Moxie CX, which is my consulting company where I go out and I help customer uh, companies understand their customers better and prepare their teams for scaling and really being able to do what I've experienced in my career with that. So there's a very rather long-winded, what is your history? What's going on? Let's talk about some of those other questions that you were asking in there. I think I've forgotten them, but what else did you want to hear about? I think uh, you did answer a lot of them, but let's also understand, you know, what are some of the key challenges that you're proud to have overcome so far? Because yeah. Many people start with a very basic level, surface level understanding of what customer experience really is. But when I'm listening to you, one thing that I can truly comprehend is that you're someone who is very people focused. And I think that has got you really far in your career. And that is something I'm sure inspires a lot of people out there to understand why and what needs to be done in this space to offer a better experience to customers. So I'm sure you must have gone through some key challenges that you remember, what strategies you applied, how you inspired your team, and then what worked in your favor. So if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit. I, I mean, I think in any story similar to mine in a company that starts at a certain size, and, and we'll focus on Illuminate because that's again where most of my professional experience over the last 11 years was. I think anyone going through a scaling situation like that, there are a lot of challenges. Initially, you're in the situation where it's kind of like, hey, let's do whatever we can to get the customers in the door. And as a startup, that's a really important strategy because you need to have each of those customers there because you need to keep the lights on and you need to keep being able to function as a business. Sometimes that creates an unhealthy client expectation with... I remember in the early days, we had 20 or 30 customers and they got used to very responsive changes from our product team because the product was new, we could say, hey, let's add this feature for this particular school district. Fast forward five years, you know, we've got several thousand customers. We've got a very clear product roadmap. Those initial customers who were still with us had believed in us in the early days, but had an expectation of, hey, this is how I want, I want this feature. You're going to release this feature for me. And it was, you're the only person out of a thousand clients that's asking for this feature. 
how can we possibly divert our product team's focus and our development team's focus from what we've set as our key goals? And so, so that was a challenge that we had to kind of overcome in communicating and setting expectations with our customers. I think another challenge, and I kind of briefly touched on this, was as we were growing and, and acquiring companies, just because you sign a piece of paper doesn't mean that everything works properly on the back end and doesn't mean that the people are fully integrated with the team. And so I think a big part of my story as a customer experience professional is really focused on my team's experience as well, because you know, in the support world, a happy agent equals a happy customer, right? If I can make the agent's lives as good as possible, if I can give them tools that work, that are all unified and integrated, that they have the information they need at their fingertips, whether they're on a phone call or dealing with a chat or an email, if I can make that easy and I can keep that in sync with the rest of the company data, then our customers are going to have a better experience because that agent is going to have context and the agent's not going to be dealing with 19 different tabs and trying to switch different views and things like that. And so when you talk about bringing companies together, being able to say, this is what's good about the company we acquired. This is why we acquired them. But then also, this is who we are as an organization. And these are the things that make us distinctive. This is what our customers are expecting. How do we bring those two things together in a way that doesn't blow up the previous customers on the company you acquired, allows the new agents and the new teammates to be part of the team, gets everybody on the same tools? Because honestly, running reports, we had at one point, we had Freshdesk, Zendesk, a team that was using Google Mail, just a shared inbox. We had a second Zendesk instance. And I, I forget in the... We had all these different tools. And my boss is saying, hey, Matt, what's our reports? How are things looking for the month? And I'm like, well, I can tell you about the system. And here's how they report this. And here's how this one reports this. CSAT's different in these two systems. And trying to work out of multiple systems to do the same function was a lot of work. And so being able to bring everybody together and say, okay, this is we're migrating from this tool to this. We're migrating from this phone system to this. And, and getting them all on the same page. And then saying, hey, this is how we care for our customers. We don't want to decrease the experience that product A had when, when we acquired them, but we also need them to be consistent if we have a customer that's already on our existing products and they want to upsell or cross-sell or move on and say, hey, let's add this to our bundle. You can't have a different experience from a support perspective in both those cases. So how do we bring things unified and how do we get them together? And, and again, I think that was, as I look back on my career from an external perspective, that was the biggest kind of challenge and things that I'm most proud of. The other aspect that I think I'm really in looking back and saying, what, what was rewarding? What did I care about? I really think it was helping the people on my team, watching them grow as leaders. I had a couple in particular who were hired as frontline agents, moved them into a management role. And then as we got bigger, they moved into a director level role. And so being able to kind of go through each of those phases and watch them grow. And now they're at different companies. They're running support teams um, on their own. And just seeing that, that, you know, that growth in their cases was really rewarding. And, and th those are just two out of my whole team. We had a bunch of others that were able to grow and move into different roles, whether that was on my team or the other teams was really cool. So, yeah. I love this. And I love the fact that you have actually helped people be better at delivering these experiences by taking care of them. So I think one really important aspect of this narrative is empathy for your frontline agents, right? And also, if you could talk a bit about their mental health situation, because people on the outside, when I'm picking up my phone to call up customer support, you know, I'm not thinking what kind of day he or she is having, right? I'm just there with my right. question, my concern, my query, and I'm just focused on getting the right kind of response and in a timely manner. So what is it that you would like to convey to the people outside the industry, the kind of day they have, these frontline agents experience, the kind of emotions they experience, the stress 
in a typical day of their work and why the people outside the industry also need to be a little more empathetic towards them. So maybe we can have that kind of balance because we know one thing for sure that the customer is not always right. We are not going by that perception anymore, right? There can be some mistakes from their end as well. So how do we look at these two aspects and what is it that you would like to convey to the people outside the industry about the mental health um, situation of your frontline agents? Yeah, so again, your questions are full of a lot of stuff to unpack there. I love it. I think it's really cool that we can kind of dive in and talk about this stuff. I think the work that we do as CX professionals, whether that's in the CSM focus, whether that's in a customer support focus, as people on the front lines interacting with our customers, I think that can be a role that that is very rewarding because as people, we like to help. We like to make things better. But I think, like you said, it can also be really draining because especially in the customer support reactive roles, which has been where a lot of my focus has been, people aren't calling us or emailing us or chatting with us because they're having a great day. They have a problem with our product or our service that they were unable to solve on their own, whether that's because we didn't have a good user interface, whether that's because the product itself broke, whether that's because we didn't do a good enough job having some self-service options where they could quickly find the answer that they were looking for. Something went wrong and they had to take time out of their day to contact us. So I think on both sides of the coin, you have someone that's frustrated, that's having a challenging day, and you have someone else that's been dealing with challenging people that have had challenging days back to back to back to back. Both people are human. Both people have their own story that's going on and their own inner monologue and things that are affecting their life in, in positive and negative ways. And I think for the relationship and the interaction to be successful, both have to be able to approach it from a place of, hey, like we're coming together, we're trying to solve this problem together. I think it's easy as you look at senior leadership in the company and especially people that aren't used to customer-facing roles. So if you're in finance or used to leading a company, I think it's sometimes hard to remember how actions taken by the company can cause frustration for customers how actions taking can cause a negative customer experience. And then that causes that friction between... So if you have a product rollout, say, that's really full of bugs and you decide, hey, damn the torpedoes, full speed us ahead. We're going to do this thing anyway because we've got to hit our schedule. We've got to do whatever reason that you have to do that. That action has an effect on our customers. And then those customers then need to get that resolved. If, if they're experiencing that bug, they need help. And the people that they're going to be reaching out to are those that are on the front lines on the CX world, whether that's support or their CSM. So there's a very real cost organizationally to making a decision that says, hey, we're going to push this piece of software out, or we're going to do this thing that's not necessarily in our customer's best interest. And I think understanding that there's an effect, that that also then, you have a certain amount of emotional capital for each of your agents where they're able to handle the situation that's coming in. And, and I talked to mine a lot. There's a concept that David Allen talks about in one of his books called Mind Like Water. And basically, the goal is to kind of get you're in a situation, someone's coming at you, you take care of the situation, and then you return to that state of calm, flat water very quickly, which water does because it's a liquid. It's not like a, you know, a solid where you hit it hard and it breaks into pieces, but this returns back to its natural state very quickly. And so we can coach the folks on the front lines and say, hey, here's how to help. Here's some techniques and tools that will help you get back to that place after each call or each email. It's not about you. This isn't your fault that there's something wrong with the product or it isn't your fault that that person was having a bad day and they needed to take it out on someone. But I think there's also a finite number of those interactions that, that our frontline folks can handle. And how quickly we choose to burn through that and how quickly we choose to burn them out, what we're asking them to do, how utilized they are, will affect their ability to have a long-term career in that particular role or with this particular company. So to leaders, you're burning human capital. And the question is how much... 
what do you need to have accomplished from your team and what cost is that going to be? Are we going to have to constantly, we have turnover and every six months we've got to hire a new person? There's an effect of that that's a not a positive one because we lose that tribal knowledge from our team. So to, to answer your second part of the question is, hey, I'm someone calling in, I need help on something. I think just remembering you're talking to a human being on the other end. They're having a day. You're having a day. Their job, they want to see you succeed. They're a people person. They want to see you succeed. But they've also been dealing with a lot of emotional toll from each of the calls they've dealt with before. If you can treat them as a human being, if you can approach the situation with dignity and assuming that they're not there to screw you out over or mess your day up, if you can put aside your emotional response to the frustration you're feeling that is causing you to call in in the first place, I guarantee you'll have a better experience. Being in this job has given me such empathy for anytime I'm reaching out to a customer service person. And in fact, there's a couple where I know a brand is having a bad day. You read about it in the news and it's a, maybe it's a brand that you really like. I'll send in a support request and say, hey, just want to let you know I see what y'all are doing. You're on the front lines. Like, it's rough. Good luck. Close this one out. You get a free ticket solved for the day. But just let your team know that like, I know what it looks like there. I know what you're doing. You're doing good work. And again, I think approaching that situation from that that place of thinking about what their day is like, what they're going through, I think can really be a, a positive in that interaction. So I don't know. If, I don't know if that answers all of your questions, but there's kind of the two approaches from the senior leadership and the customer. How can you understand what your agents and your frontline folks are going through? Yeah. And I think simply acknowledging, you know, that, okay, yes, you're doing good, as you said, and I'm here for you. I think that makes a huge difference. And that is what people also need to understand about CX professionals, customer support representatives, right? And getting a bit deeper into this, you've been into so many roles, Matt, and I would like to understand from you, what are some of your observations? What are some of the gaps that you have perceived in communication between Again, the frontline employees, the frontline agents, and the top management leadership. And how can CX leaders really solve for this so there is a balance and there is a room for improvement as well? I think we come back to that word again, empathy. I think understanding your audience in moving up and growing with the company from being the frontline person to being the VP of customer support and kind of all the roles in between there. Starting off, I had my finger on the pulse of what our customers were feeling on a day-to-day basis, right? I'm in the queue, I'm solving issues. And at that point, our company, we would have a Friday meeting where everyone, we sat around in a circle and everyone talked to, you had three minutes to talk about what you were doing that week and things that you were challenged on, et cetera. As an organization, we were very flat and it was very easy. I could talk to the CEO and say, this is a problem and I can advocate for them on behalf of the customers. And because he was starting it up and he knew those customers, the handful... He's like, oh, yeah, I want to take care of Ruthie over at Santa Monica Malibu. Like, I'm, of course, we want to make that change. Of course, we want to think about that. So, communication is easy when you're close from a structural perspective. As you move up, as I moved up and I moved further away from being in the queue day to day and talking to customers on a daily basis, I think it's easy to forget their frustration and their pain. And it's also easy to forget the frustration and the pain of the people that are on your team. And so, I'd like to think that I'm a good leader that I did a good job while I was at Illuminate, but I also acknowledge that there are places where I didn't do as good a job as I would have liked to. I wasn't as aware or wasn't prioritizing necessarily what our frontline agents needed at that particular time because I had removed myself from the situation because I was dealing with this high-level stuff over here from the the CFO. We need to get this thing solved. And I wasn't in the day-to-day in the same way that I was able to when we were a team of three, you know, when we were as compared to when we were a team of 30 or a team of 60. And so I think it's easy to lose that context. And since you don't have the context, it's, you lose your empathy for that, that person and their situation as well. I think that's especially a problem if your role in the organization isn't one that 
is customer focused necessarily. Again, our CEO is a great guy. He came from a sales background and a technology background. And so that was his lens for viewing the world. He wasn't necessarily thinking about how the day-to-day struggles that we talked about that our frontline agents might be feeling because he'd never experienced that. And that wasn't how he saw the customer. He saw the customer as a sale. He saw the customer as a renewal, but he didn't see them in the interactions on the day-to-day basis of how do we improve? How do we reduce the friction? How do we improve the efficiency of the customer experience rather? And so I think it's our job then as the middlemen, as the leaders in CX is to be able to talk both to our frontline folks on the internal team to talk to our customers and make sure they're having a great experience, but also to be able to talk to other leaders in the organization cross-functionally and to talk to that senior leadership suite, the CEO, the COO, the CFO, and be able to share, to identify what's important for our teams and for our customers and be able to articulate that in a way that ties things back to what those people care about. A CFO cares about specific numbers, a lot to do with the budget, but also cares a lot about churn and cares about some of those annual renewals or the monthly renewals. If I can take my request or if I can share what I'm trying to share in a way that ties it back to what he cares about or she cares about, then I'm going to be able to get to win their support for what I'm trying to do. If I'm just saying, hey, we need to improve customer satisfaction. Hey, we need to buy this new tool because our agents are getting burned out. Cool, Matt. That's nice, but that's going to cost X number of dollars. We can't afford that right now. If I can say, hey, what we're doing is going to impact churn in a positive way. We're going to reduce churn from 20% this quarter. We're going to bring it down to 16% based on what we're trying to accomplish here. CFO is suddenly really interested because that translates into a dollar amount. And then to spend 50K on a new support tool, if we're going to save 250K or a million dollars, she's on board. They're on board. They're saying, yeah, let's do this. And so I think it's our job to have the empathy for our team, for our customers, but then also understand the context that the senior leadership or the other leaders in the organization, if product is trying to focus on their roadmap and I'm coming in and saying, hey, we need to fix this bug right away, that's an irritation. But if I can frame it in such a way that shows how it ties back to what they're trying to accomplish, then I'm going to be able to help them see the importance of what they're doing and shift their focus in the right way. Now, again, we can't just be asking for everything all the time and take, take, take because that's not going to work either. But if we can put things in context, have empathy for the CEO and what they're going through and understanding their situation and tie it back in the language that they can understand, I think that's where we really can win as leaders. And that's really a big part of our job is just helping these different groups of people understand and have empathy for each other so that we can do the right thing for the customer and for our team. Right. And I think identifying who cares about what is an integral aspect of this story, right? In this context, Matt, help me understand how do you look at what is urgent, what is important, and how do we apply that to the concept of overall customer experience? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Sean Blanc. He has an online site called The Focus Course. And his approach to... It's a lot of productivity and and focus, obviously, with the name. But his approach is kind of a top-down approach. And he says, hey, start out with what are your core values? And then what are you actually trying to accomplish? And then focus on critical actions. And basically, what are those things that we must do to achieve this goal or to achieve what we're trying to accomplish? There's always going to be a million different things that we want to do. And you can do any one of those things, but you can't do all those things. You can just you can just choose a, a small handful to, to get done. So understanding your company's long-term strategy, understanding your team's long-term strategy, understanding what experience you want to provide, and then going, what can we actually provide based on the budget that's available? And then kind of going through and saying, hey, we need to understand our business too. So looking at, in my world at Illuminate, we were a SaaS company focused on kind of a business to enterprise or business to business model. That is the people we were selling to weren't the ones that were calling in for support. 
because they were part of the user group, but they were one out of a thousand people in a specific district that was using it. Our annual cycle, our renewals were an annual cycle rather than a monthly cycle. So in that environment, there were certain things that were important to us because we were trying to accomplish certain goals. And and understanding that, that's very different than a friend of mine that I'm consulting with. They have an e-commerce company and it's an actual physical product. And their challenges as an organization were very different than what I experienced at Illuminate. But in both cases, those, those situations are identify what's important to your company, identify what's important to the customer, and then realize you can't do all those things. Set out and say, this is the thing that is the critical action that will help us accomplish that goal. If we do these steps, we will get this sort of result. And then being able to focus on that on, a, on a, an annual basis, on a monthly basis, then on a weekly basis, then on a daily basis, and say, hey, what are my you know, top two, top three tasks for the day? What am I going to accomplish? And then you know, being able to tie that back to our big picture goal. Right, right. And what skills do you feel, Matt, are, can really make an impact, can really help our CX professionals when it comes to balancing this aspect? Again, I think it's understanding what our customers are going through, where we're actually at right now, understanding conceptually as an organization what kind of experience we want to deliver, because there's usually a gulf between those two. And then saying, how do we slice and dice this in a way that makes the most sense for the most people? Going back to the conversation from earlier, we had those early customers, there were 20 of them that were used to a certain experience. Conceptually, we maybe wanted to deliver an experience like that that was individualized, but reality, we couldn't do that anymore. So how do we go from being this thing that these people want to what's going to work best for the largest group, and the largest number of people and help us as a company accomplish our goals? And I, I think being able to separate those things, it's very easy, especially in the support and even a CSM type role to hear customer complaints all day long. We need to fix this. We need to fix that. Whatever issues right in front of me right now is the most important thing in the world. I think we have to be able to step back and put that into context again of as an organization, what are we trying to accomplish and how does this fit in with that? I don't envy folks on the product and development side of the house because they have a million things that they have that they're being asked to do and they have to try to prioritize that. And so our job on the CX front lines is to say, here's insight that will help you prioritize that. Let's let's look at, is this an important customer? Every company has important customers and customers that are important, but are not the most important customers. Being able to kind of figure that out and say, hey, you know, 80-20, this 20% of the population brings in 80% of the revenue. We need to make sure we're taking care of those people and we're focusing on their needs over the needs of everyone. Not that it, we want everyone to have a bad experience, but, but really saying, hey, this is where our bread and butter is. This is what we need to, to focus on. And so I think, again, as professionals, we need to look at things and go, Here's all the things we're asking of product, or here's all the things we're asking of the senior leadership team. What are our true priorities? How do we prioritize those? And what did those tie back to from a customer perspective or from a revenue perspective that we can then say, this is why we should do X, or this is why we should do Y over X, or something like that? Right, right. And I'm sure in your journey so far, in your experience so far, Matt, you must have faced situations where you had to make that one difficult decision, where you had to prioritize something and Maybe you didn't get the expected reactions from people around you. So if you could talk about one of those situations, it would help our listeners get an insight into navigating through something that needs to be done because it's important, even though, you know, the world falls apart. So if you could just help us. Yeah. So I think this is one that's probably fairly relevant to a lot of folks out there right now. A few years ago, we were preparing for a sale owned by private equity. They have a, a limited time period where they want to have the fund open. And then they want to have a liquidity event, which for us on the front lines means the company is getting sold. You know, what does that kind of look like? And we had just finished bringing all the teams together, nine companies. From an operational perspective, the support team, my team was doing well. 
Uh, we'd had some hiccups and challenges, but we were finally on the same platforms. We were finally singing from the same songbook. Everyone was kind of working in a unified direction. And my boss at the time came to me and said, Matt, we're going to be doing a round of layoffs because we need to change the balance sheet to make it look good for a sale. And I had one of those, oh crap, you know, what am I going to, how am I going to handle this situation? And it really came back to, for us, we had to figure out what our team's essential services were. We had folks on the team that were helping out the QA team with the quality assurance process, which was good because if we release good code that doesn't have bugs, that means there's fewer tickets coming in. We had folks that were interested in moving into sales and the CSM side of things, and they were helping out with client-facing calls, providing technical support for the sales or the CSM person on that call. We had people that were focusing on documentation. And we had a documentation team, but we had several folks on the support team that were working closely with that. And I brought my leadership team together, said, this is the reality. This is what's going to happen. We're going to be a smaller, maybe not totally 20%. We were able to negotiate that a little bit and find some savings, but we'll have fewer people on the team. How are we going to deliver an experience that meets our customers' expectations in that context? And so we focused back on the essentials, which for us was phone, ticket, chat. Anything else was nice to have. And if we had extra bandwidth, sure, no problem. But for right now, in this particular context too, we were we knew that it was going to be a short-ish term. It was September, October kind of area. And they were looking to have the sale done in like March. And so I was like, okay, let's what we're not going to be able to deliver the experience that we want to. What will our customers be okay with for a period of time while we're tightening our belts and kind of bringing things in? And so we came up with a plan, my leadership team, and then I worked with my boss to kind of communicate this and say, hey, I think this is what we can do. If we're reducing the team by this much, here's what we can function on. And here's what the type of experience we can deliver for our customers. Here's the trade-offs. Here's the recommendations we would advise against this because of XYZ. And then we were able to sell that to senior leadership and kind of say, this is what we want to focus on. Part of that is prioritizing on the right customers. So we changed our SLAs for most of our customers. Our top 20% of, yeah, the 20 that brought in the 80%, their SLAs stayed the same. And we changed some things in our ticketing system and our CRM to highlight those customers so that we could apply different business logic and different rules in the back end for that. We communicated with other teams in the company and said, hey, data services team, we're no longer going to be doing these SQL queries that we've been helping out with because we don't have the bandwidth to do that. Hey, sales and CSM teams, we're not going to be able to do this. This is what we're going to do. Hey, can we? when you all are asking for stuff from us, can you ask it in this way so that our team can help prioritize that appropriately? And so we really tried to use the right tools, the right workflows, to handle a situation where we had fewer people. Long story short, that was in September, October of 2019. The sale was set to close in March of 2020. Some stuff happened on a global scale at that point that actually made, meant that we didn't have the sale when we thought we were going to. And what was supposed to be a six-month period ended up being about a two-and-a-half-year period. So there were other challenges related to that. It didn't go awesome. But also, I think as leaders, we need to remember that Again, kind of going back to the critical action thing, this is the path that we think we need to be on. These are the steps we need to take. We still may fail. It still may not turn out great for us. But if we're not planning that way, if we're not thinking about what are we doing, if we're not making those tough calls, we're definitely going to fail. And so I think in this case, we did a as good a job as we could navigating a lower headcount right at the beginning of a global pandemic. And I think had we not planned like that and had we not done that and just said, okay, we're going to cut 20% and we'll just kind of figure it out. If we hadn't taken an active role and thought through how is this going to affect the different people on our team, in our company, and on our customer base, I think they would have had a much worse customer experience and we would have had a lot more challenges. Right, right. And I'm sure this has been a very critical learning for everyone involved, right? And also, since you're talking about that particular time of the particular situation where everyone was in, so let's take like a step back and 
talk a bit about how the entire pandemic situation i know i'm asking this question again in 2023 but i feel the way it has transformed you know cx it's still an ongoing process i mean it's still going to evolve and but that critical turn it's been a critical turning point for brands individuals professionals everyone right so if you have to talk about that particular time at this moment how would you describe it how would you describe cx evolving as a concept and um, how do you feel about cx right now especially in terms of the way it was prioritized before the pandemic and the way it's prioritized now so i think big step take a step back kind of looking at the broad strokes i think a focus on customer experience is something that we've heard about in the last couple of years if you rewind the clock back to when i first started illuminate cx wasn't a term people were using at all we were doing customer experience type functions the roles existed and like i said back to my earliest days in high school of helping people fix their computers and doing classes and things like that i was doing customer experience work but we didn't have a name for it and i think over the last 5 years we've really seen a, an awareness of this is something that matters our customers experience matter and we need to have a discipline that is focused on that product management didn't exist a while back now it exists and it's an important discipline in a, in a large organization to say hey we have people that are thinking about our products and our roadmaps and so i, I think in a like manner customer experience is something that has has evolved and is continuing but is is seen as this is something that you could have a career in this is an actual role this is a function that we need to have in our organization I think the pandemic and post pandemic and you know, this new world that we live in in a lot of cases heightened the understanding of hey our customers experience mattered so maybe it was an accelerant or a, a catalyst if you will for that coming to the forefront but I also think this is something that's kind of exists and it has been here and it will be continued to be refined in in years to come it's kind of like I don't know how it is where you live but here in the US you drive down main streets of America and there's these old hotels and they'll have a sign up on the front that says color tv or hbo internet access in the room and i'm looking at that and i look at that and i go they think that having a color tv is like a distinctive selling point like that's something you should be focusing on and in reality that's table stakes everyone expects the hotel room to have a color tv it better be a flat screen and everyone expects there to be free wifi and everyone expects that that's just what you have right. i think customer experience a customer experience function in an organization is going to be table stakes if not already in the next year or two and and again i think the pandemic kind of pushed that to the forefront because consumers today have a lot of options and they approach the world differently than they did 5 or 10 years ago if i don't like a service i'm canceling the service i may not want to own something you one of the companies that i'm working with right now is called simple car instead of leasing or buying the car you basically rent it on a monthly basis as long or as short as you want so it's not like a car rental at an airport but it's basically saying hey i need i need a car for 3 months i'm going to rent it for those 3 months and then I'm going to turn it back in and I don't care what color it is and I don't care what kind of car it is I just need a functional to get from point A to point B and so you have the rent the runway or whatever where you need a dress for one event and you buy the dress and then you take it and send it back and I I think we're in a very different world today than we were 5 10 years ago and, and in this new world brought about in part catalyzed by the pandemic I think we need to be as in our companies be mindful of our customers experience because it's very easy for them to go somewhere else and they're also expect their expectations are much higher they're expecting free wifi they're expecting a color tv if that's what you're promoting as your business distinctives then you're behind the curve and you need to be focusing on the things that set you apart from your competitors and the only way to do that is to have the table stakes and i think good cx is part of those table stakes 
Right, right. And in this context, Matt, how are you looking at some of the trends in this space? And what are some of the trends that you're closely looking at? And because we've been discussing the way CX has evolved over the years. Now, in the times to come, what do you think is going to matter the most? I think so right now, when I hear things like, what are the trends? What are you focusing on? A lot of people are asking that and going, how does AI and machine learning fit into your CX strategy? That's code words for that. I've worked with some customers where they're like, hey, CEO said, I have, what am I spending budget on so that we can make sure that we have ChatGPT involved in something? And people read in the business articles at their Business Insider and Forbes and all that. Oh, I, I see that this is an important change that's happening in our industry. How are we using this? How are we making sure that we're in the front of the wave? I think it's better with a lot of our conversations. Like, let's take a step back and let's look at the big picture. Customer experience is about, big surprise, the customer's experience, right? How do they interact with your company, your brand, whether that's from their ordering process, whether that's from the delivery of your product or service, whether that's from the getting it set up in the first place, how do they use it on a day-to-day basis, getting help if they need it. All that's tied in with their experience. And I think as CX professionals, we need to be laser focused on what does that look like? Um, you, you can build out your customer journey maps and all those different things, but basically understand your customer, understand their experience, understand where all those friction points are, and then what tools can we use, what people, what process, and what tools can we put into place that will allow them to have the best possible experience that we can deliver in this budget with all the different constraints around our business. And so as we look at things like ChatGPT and AI and ML, I think the right question to ask is, how can we improve that customer experience? So if the customer is saying, I need help with this. If I have a chat bot that's able to parse their their query and provide them a human readable, doesn't sound like it was generated by a robot, bit of text that answers their question, and they can do that in five seconds, I 100% need to have that as part of my tool stack so that I can deliver an awesome customer experience. If on the other hand, they have a question that needs to have a little bit more detailed work, they need to have someone that understands what's going on with their account, how the product works and what they're doing that's unique that doesn't isn't found in the normal knowledge base. I don't want to have them interacting with a chatbot when the chatbot's not going to be able to solve their problem and it's just causing friction. I don't want the tools that I'm using to be causing a negative customer experience because I'm trying to, to save a little bit of money here because I heard that ChatGPT is a cool thing. I would just say to kind of take a step back, like I'm thinking about how do we deliver the right experience to our customers at those right different points of time. And again, that whole tool set and that that approach is going to be varied depending on how that customer is coming to us and what they're doing. With my friend that's got the, the e-commerce company, how can we improve the packaging of our product to make it make more sense for our customers as they're unboxing it? That's part of their experience. It's not something that falls necessarily under support or a CSM or a sales part. That's a critical part of how it works. If I can provide something that makes sense and reduces their friction there, that's going to make going to build a positive relationship with the customer, which is what the goal is. And that's going to actually reduce the number of inquiries they're going to be sending into their support team or talking to their CSM or salesperson about. And so I think big picture, holistically, how can we identify those areas of problem? And then how can we put the right tool, the right person, the right workflow in place to deliver a slim and seamless experience for them, which is going to make them have a positive experience? Right. And how do you look at the role of support data in all of this? So I think Support is unique in that we don't create the tickets, we solve them, right? It's the, a lot of the things that cause issues for our customers have nothing to do with anything that our team has control over in and of itself. That being said, we have all the information about those customer actions. We have a wealth of knowledge about how our customers are using our products, where their pain points are, 
that's all right there. And I think our job as leaders, especially in support, but in CX, broader strokes as well, is to take that information and be able to put it in context for the rest of the company. And so we need to be tracking things the right way so that we can say, hey, we're seeing an uptick in, you know, when we sent out this marketing email, that resulted in a bunch of a higher than normal amount of tickets that came in. And actually, if you look at those tickets, it wasn't that there was higher than normal because we just sent out an email to a million people, but it was because of this particular problem or the way that the email was worded was incorrect and it caused confusion. Cool. I need to be able to share that truth with the marketing team so they can fix their process, which reduces the client frustration, which ultimately makes my life better because it reduces the number of inbound calls and tickets that are coming in. But if we can provide that context around how our customers are using the product to product, to development, to the senior leadership, as an organization, we're able to make data-informed decisions that that improve our customers' experience and, and increase our, our ARR and our MRR and all the things that we want to have improved and increased. But that's our job to share that information, to be tracking that information in a way that they can that we can then pull insights from, and then to be able to share that in a winsome way with in, in context, in the right language to the target audiences around the organization that need that information, but maybe don't know to ask for it or couldn't understand what you're saying if you don't put it in the right context. Right, right. One side of the story is tracking this data, right? And the other side of story is also tracking some important metrics. Again, when we come to metrics and benchmarks and KPIs, there are certain KPIs that are overhyped and there are certain KPIs that I feel are not being paid too much attention. So how do you look at this? And according to you, where should the focus be? when it comes to understanding KPIs, setting benchmarks for your organization? So I'm, I'm going to do another one of the things that I've been doing this whole time, which is I don't think there's actually a hard and fast, this is the right metric or this is the right KPI for your organization. Or globally, we should all be looking right. at this KPI. And I think that's actually a problem. It's easy to fall into as leaders. We go, oh, I read this article or I, I saw this person talk and they said to focus on this. We need to understand the context of our business and of our customers, of our team, of our company goals. Once we have an understanding of those, that will inform what we need to be tracking. So from an inbound perspective, like from operationally, like I need to know how many calls and tickets are coming in. I need to know how many we're solving. I need to know how long it's taking to solve. I want to identify any weak performers on my team so I can help get them the coaching they need to get to where they need to go. There's some basics that we need to have to kind of say, hey, how is my team functioning? I like, some people don't like CSAT. I like CSAT because it's like, hey, this is the customer's temperature. Are they frustrated right now? It may not be as simple as they're pissed off at this agent because of the agent's experience. They may be frustrated with their product. So I don't think it's as simple as, oh, just take this non agent's a bad person or, or whatever. But I, I think understanding those different metrics and those different points in context is really important. I was talking to a friend, Craig Stoss, at a conference in San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, how do we talk about the difference between... How do we talk about value? And how do we make it all make sense? And the problem is the things that we care about are difficult to measure numerically. Some of the things that we care about are how do the customer feel? What's the, you know, what you know, things like customer effort score, like how difficult was it to do this? And they rate it on a scale of one to 10 and that's cool, but that's a number and it's convenient to report on a number because numbers are, you can collect numbers. I can count the number of tickets. I can count the number of phone calls. I can count the average call time. What we really care about though, is we care about are our customers experiencing our product in a way that makes sense? Is it providing value? And is that value differential enough? We have friction on one side. We have delight and kind of how much they care about the experience on the other side. And that difference between the friction and what they care about is the value that we're providing. That's really hard to quantify. 
if we could, that would give us a real sense of, hey, like we need to decrease the friction. We need to increase the value that joy or whatever that we're providing. That's going to have a bigger difference there. And that bigger difference is going to allow us to say, yeah, that's, you know, we can either increase or decrease, but that's where we want to focus on. Because if that number is negative, they're going to switch to a different product or a different service. But again, that, that tends to be fairly touchy-feely and it's really hard to put a gauge on touchy-feely. And so I guess I would just say to leaders listening to this and thinking about this, Figure about what you need to have that are those metric numbers that you can easily pull, but don't forget the importance of what's actually going on behind the scenes, which is you have customers, they have feelings about your company, they have experiences with your company. How do you improve each of those experiences? And it's not necessarily quantifiable, but identify what those are. Talk to people, look at mine your knowledge or your ticket system and say, hey, what are we getting issues about? Let's dig in on that. Let's be curious and ask the right questions instead of going, hey, like here's the number I can report to the senior leadership once a month at our status meeting. I mean, that, again, that number is not bad, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And I think what we're trying to get at, we need to understand the big picture and the whole story. And we need to be able to communicate that well with others in our organization so that we can then combine, come together and provide an awesome experience. Certainly, there are no simple and straightforward answers to this. And there's a lot to reflect in there, Matt. So you've given us some key aspects, key questions to think about and understand where exactly it is headed. And walk a mile in the customer's shoe and then uh, think from that perspective. You have given us that message in a very strong and, um, I mean, amazing way. So Matt, it's been lovely listening to you and learning from you today, but I don't want you to go before you answer this one last question for me, which is if someone is willing to start and build a career in this space, what would your message be for that young professional? Or even if somebody is considering a switch. Now, again, there are two aspects to this question. I tend on asking lengthy questions. I'm so sorry for that. But let's start with a younger person. Okay, what would your message be for that individual? And for someone who's considering a role switch, what would you say to that individual who has had some work experience in any other field for that matter. And now he would like to start a career in the CX space. So the new person starting out, I think customer experience is can be a very rewarding career. Like there's a, I love helping people. And I think there's a lot of folks out there that like to help people. And being involved in the customer experience is something that you can help people. So I, I think it's a really... It can be a very rewarding career. I think it can also be... You know, as we mentioned, it can be very easy to burn out and very easy to take on the pain and the, the frustration of your customers. I think back to probably seven or eight years ago now, she just joined the team. We'd gone through a fairly rough period. We had some major server issues, some frustrated clients. She came on board. We had a back to school cycle, which for us, you, know, you see most of the, like half the volume for the year in October, or September, October, November. It all comes in during those months. And she was starting in January. She'd been with us. We went through the the first couple of weeks of onboarding. And then we had a company user conference. So we had a bunch of our customers came into one place, probably a thousand people in one area. And our job on support was to man the, you can come ask us any questions and things like that. She came to me kind of almost in tears and was just like, I, I need to talk. Okay, let's let's go on a talk. And so we walked around the conference center, said, Hey, what's going on? Help me understand. You know, like you seem distressed. What's going on? And she said, Well, I I'm just really worried. Do we have a product that's terrible? Like, I feel like there's a lot of people that are frustrated with us and things are like, is this company even going to be here? Like, I just changed from this other company. I'm, I'm here. Like, I've enjoyed the onboarding. I believe in what, what you say you, you guys believe in, but it's so broken. It's so messed up. There's so many frustrated people. And my response to her was, you have to see this kind of from the big picture perspective again. 
Our job on the front lines is talking to people who are having a bad day. The product's not working for them. And so we get this very biased view of, oh my gosh, it's so broken because of this. In this particular event, there was a lot of reasons why we had frustrated customers and there were good reasons. It didn't mean fundamentally that our product was bad or that we had everyone hated us, but a lot of the people that were at that particular event were having struggles with using the, using the tool. And I think, again, we can focus on this and go, oh my gosh, all of our customers are having this problem. No, we had 50 customers call in today with that problem and it makes sense because we released this bug. But you didn't talk to the other 40,000 people that are using the product, you just talked to those 50. So yeah, it, it put it into context. Yes, they're having a bad day and yes, we need to do better as a, as a company, but also the sky is not falling. I don't have to take on their pain. I don't have to let that tear me down. Go back to that mind like water thing. I need to empathize. I need to hear where they're at. I need to treat them as human beings, treat, handle their emotions and handle their problem. But once that's done, I don't have to take that emotion and that problem and make that that I've had a bad day, but rather that was where they're at. I did my best. I'd solved it. I've communicated with the product team on this is why we should fix this issue. I'm on to the next issue and I'm going to kind of move on from there. And so I think providing that context and being able to go, I'm seeing a skewed view of reality here based on the small sample size that are intentionally coming into me on support. So that would be my kind of advice to the newbie. There's an emotional side of it. Just kind of be aware of that. From someone that's considering a move from another, another part of the organization or kind of a career in a different area, again, I think, I think a lot of the same advice would apply. I think some companies talk a lot about, hey, let's have you know, all hands support. Let's make sure that everybody in the company has some time on support. And I think that can work in certain organizations. It certainly didn't in ours because we had a very complex product. Our onboarding process was like a four-week process. It took six months before the agent was really able to be functional on their own. And you don't want someone from the finance team coming in and trying to answer support questions that require a six-month to be comfortable. That being said, though, I think for a lot of organizations, having that that perspective and that empathy and the, the interaction with the customer can be really healthy and really good. So if someone's saying, hey, like I'm moving from this part of this career path to a customer experience focused one, I think that can be, provide really great empathy and context, especially if it's just a short-term move and then coming out. But again, I think like I've made my entire career here and I think there can be valuable career as well. I think it's great. Come on in the water's fine and be ready to learn, be open to understanding people and have empathy. And I don't know, I think it's a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely, Matt. And thank you so much. This has been amazing. And you have been an amazing guest today. And I would love to put your profile link in the show note as well so that people can connect with you on LinkedIn. You're very active on LinkedIn, so I'm sure. And you're someone who actually enjoys helping people. So I'm sure people would love to reach out to you with all their questions and anybody who's looking out to build a career in this space. Thank you once again, Matt. It's been my pleasure. And yeah, I'd love to connect with our listening audience here. If you have questions or anything you want to reach out to me, hit me up. Go to my website too and book some time. We can talk. I'd just love to connect with folks that care about customer experience and are working to grow themselves, grow their career and kind of go from there. But thanks for the time today. It's been a true joy. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by Ozontel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit ozontel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.